Section 2 of an inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. This is a LibreVox recording. All LibreVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibreVox.org. Inaugural dissertation on pulmonary consumption. Section 2. The symptoms of consumption. The disease, having been excited into action, produces a succession of symptoms which are now to be detailed. Its attack is frequently extremely insidious and slow, at other times well marked and rapid in its progress. It is to this insidious and gradual mode of attack that consumption owes much of its fatal character. Before the unfortunate patient suspects himself to be seriously indisposed, it but too frequently happens that his fate is sealed, and death is inevitable. This arrives in part from the resemblance that incipient phthisis bears to a long continued catarrh. It frequently is only marked in its earliest periods by a slight, dry, hacking cough, trivial during the day, increased at evening, and most troublesome at night. A sense of weight about the breast, and some little difficulty of breathing, increased on taking an unusual exercise, or ascending a height. The pulse is slightly accelerated, and sometimes only so after taking food. Occasionally, burning hands and feet, and a slight flush in the cheek are the only symptoms of fever. These symptoms may be so slight as hardly to attract the patient's notice. At other times, they are more severe and distressing. Frequently, on any little unusual exercise, the cough is increased, the patient feels a pain in the side, and expectorates a frothy mucus and blood is discharged from the lungs. This, perhaps, is the first symptom which excites the alarm of the patient. Expectoration of blood is generally preceded by a saltish taste in the mouth and a sense of irritation at the upper part of the trachea. It is known to come from the lungs and not the stomach by its frothy appearance and admixture with mucus, while that from the stomach is generally dark-coloured and mixed with the food and by being brought up by coughing and not vomiting. The blood coming from the stomach, too, is generally in larger quantity than that from the lungs. In addition to these symptoms, the patient is often affected by an increased sensibility of the lungs, observable on any exposure to cold, change of dress, or going from a warm to a cool apartment. There is a sense of soreness in the lungs attended with a sensation of stricture about the chest. Pain is felt in the side or breast, and the patient lies with difficulty on the side affected. The pain is frequently lancinating and shooting through the breast, sometimes in the direction of the mediastinum, at others confined to one side. As the disease advances, the symptoms of fever become more marked. The tongue is dry, attended with thirst, loss of appetite, nausea, and occasional vomiting, and a desire for acids. The secretions generally are checked, perspiration is diminished, and the skin is hot and dry. The urine is at first diminished in quantity and high-coloured. The menses, in females, are either suppressed or very irregular. The bowels are frequently costive. The patient passes restless nights and is prevented sleeping by a tormenting cough, or if he sleeps, is troubled with dreams. In consequence of indigestion, pain is felt in the situation of the stomach, attended with flatulence. The patient begins to have a pallid countenance, and emaciation gradually takes place. These symptoms may continue at length of time, gradually debilitating the patient, but the expectoration, which at first was frothy in small quantity and coughed up with difficulty and pain, increases, and gradually passing through all the stages between mucus and pus, at length becomes decidedly purulent. A new train of symptoms follow. Hectic fever makes its appearance, commencing with a regular cold and shivering fits, returning frequently during the day, it soon, however, assumes a decided character and is too marked as exacerbations. The one at noon, the other at night. These exacerbations begin with a sense of coldness succeeded by heat and at night terminating in a profuse perspiration. During the chill and hot fit, the cough, pain and dyspnea are aggravated, but relieved by the sweating. The pulse before the paroxysm is accelerated and weak. During its continuance, quick and strong, but abates as the perspiration flows. The countenance is generally pale, but during the exacerbation is marked by a circumscribed crimson flush, which occurs mostly at noon, 
but may be produced by taking food as any other cause of excitement. The profuse sweats do not occur after the exacerbation at noon, but in the morning, while the patient is warm in bed, with the system relaxed by sleep. The perspiration is principally confined to the superior parts of the body, as the neck, breast, and about the shoulders. The tongue is often very clean during hectic fever, but sometimes furred. The bowels are generally torpid, alternating with diarrhoea. The disease continuing to advance, the cough and dyspnea increase, and the hectic symptoms become more marked and violent. Emaciation rapidly goes on, the face looks sharp and haggard, and the absorption of fat makes the eyes appear remarkably large and prominent. At the same time, the teeth appear unusually white and beautiful. The appetite becomes extremely irregular, the pulse more accelerated and diminished in strength. The mind is extremely vacillating, at one time depressed, at another elated with hopes of recovery. Profuse diarrheas, alternated with obstinate torpor of the bowels, exhaust the patient. The eyes assume a ghastly and pearly whiteness, the mouth becomes filled with aphthous eruptions. Sometimes hiccup ensues, the patient's mind becoming more and more disturbed. Delirium comes on, which soon terminates in death. An assemblage of some or all these symptoms constitutes phthisis pulmonalis, differing however very materially in number, degree and violence in different patients. They are variously modified by a number of attending circumstances which require some attention. Many authors declare that an expectoration of pus does not always attend this disease. The matter may be confined in a vomica, and the patient die with the symptoms of phthisis before it bursts, nor does a purulent expectoration necessarily indicate the existence of an ulcer in the lungs. The matter may be poured out from the secreting surfaces of the lungs without ulceration, precisely as it comes from the ednata of the eye after ophthalmia, or the urethra in gonorrhea, where no ulcer is suspected. In the New York Hospital, dissections of numerous patients who have died of phthisis sufficiently prove the fact in question. Nor does pain in the side or breast always accompany this disease. Dr. Reed remarks that many cases have occurred in his practice where no pain in any part of the chest has been observed during the whole course of the disorder. I have witnessed, says Dr. Herberden, many deaths from genuine pulmonary consumption, where dissection has demonstrated an entire destruction of the substance of the lungs, and where through the whole course of the disease, neither expectoration of blood, difficulty of breathing, nor pain in the side had been present. End quote. On the other hand, Pain in the side may occur merely as a consequence of the debilitated or irregular action of the muscles, as in walking, and should not be mistaken for a symptom of consumption. In the course of the disease, dropsical effusions, constituting ascites, hydrothorax, and anasarca, are not unusual, as in other diseases where great debility is produced. In the advanced periods of consumption, diarrhea constitutes a prominent and troublesome symptom. This is sometimes produced by any cause which checks the profuse sweat, while on the other hand, if the diarrhoea be checked, the cough and dyspnea, which perhaps has been relieved by it, frequently return with redoubled violence. Under these circumstances, the condition of the patient is hopeless indeed. The approach of summer frequently mitigates the sufferings of the consumptive and gives them hopes of returning health. But when winter returns, these hopes are blasted. The patient sinks again into his former condition and most generally is cut off during the cold season. The symptoms of phthisis are frequently suspended or mitigated by any cause producing a new determination in the system. The most prominent of these causes is pregnancy. It almost invariably happens that the symptoms of consumption are relieved by the occurrence of this event, but after parturition the disease returns with all its former violence. The occurrence of mania has produced the same effect and has even entirely cured the disease, but generally, when the mania is removed, the symptoms of consumption return. An attack of rheumatism has frequently relieved phthisical complaints. Dr. Rush refers to three clinical patients in the hospital of Pennsylvania to exemplify this observation. The same manner gout is observed to alternate with consumption, and during its paroxysms, the complaint of the lungs is relieved. Frequent cases are related, in works on this subject, 
of eruptions on the skin alternating with phthisis pulmonalis, long-continued ulcers, or fistulas in anu not unfrequently relieve pulmonic complaints in thysical patients, while the healing of these ulcers or fistulas reproduces the disease with tenfold violence. A further circumstance worthy of remark in this disease is the willingness with which the patient suffers himself to be flattered with hopes of recovery, notwithstanding he sees daily victims of consumption falling around him, notwithstanding the perfect assurances he has of the smaller number of those who recover from it, to the last his hopes are not abandoned. Whether depressed at night by the evening exacerbation of hectic fever, in the morning, from his comparatively comfortable situation, his hopes revive. Happy is it for these miserable sufferers that they do not despair, in a disease whose progress is frequently so slow, and whose event is but too often so sure, fortunate it is that a solace remains to cheer the unhappy patient. The duration of consumption is extremely various, from a few weeks to fifty years of patients laboured under it. In Bale's statement of the duration of the disease in two hundred cases in which the patients were destroyed by it, it was between two months and two years in 168 cases, four were less than two months, and 28 remained more than two years. From the detail of symptoms which has just been given, it is evident that there are two distinct stages of phthysis pulmonalis, each characterised by peculiar symptoms and recurring peculiar treatment. The first, incipient, or acute stage, as it is variously termed by authors, is a stage of inflammation and terminates as soon as purulent expectoration and hectic fever commence. The second, confirmed, or chronic stage, commences where the first terminates and ends most generally in death. We would not, however, assert that these stages can always be accurately distinguished in a line drawn between them. On the contrary, hectic fever may occur early in the disease before any expectoration of pus takes place, and inflammatory symptoms frequently attend its advanced stage. In general, the distinction can be made and must necessarily guide the prudent physician. End of section 2, read by Inkel.